When Jesus and his disciples encountered the storm on the Sea of Galilee, it was a storm like they had never encountered. This was a supernatural, a satanic storm. And today on this episode of Awaken to Grace, we're going to talk about what do you do when storms come into your life? And not ordinary storms, not the kind of storms that you weather through life. I'm talking about a storm that is caused by Satan. What does a Christian do when those times come? We're going to learn straight from Scripture today. We're going to see the lessons in faith that Jesus taught his disciples and ultimately that Jesus wants to teach us. I'm so glad that you're listening to this episode of Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I would love for you to download my free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, where you will have hundreds and hundreds of sermons just like what you'll hear today right at your fingertips. Download Awakened to Grace wherever you get your favorite apps today. Well, let's go to God's Word in Mark chapter 4 as we study Jesus calming the Sea of Galilee. Today we are in Mark chapter 4, only verses 35 to 41. We are going to see the miracle that Jesus performed of calming the Sea of Galilee. I want to show you today why I believe this was not an ordinary storm. I want to show you why I believe this was not even a natural storm. I firmly believe that this was a supernatural storm designed by Satan himself to prevent Christ from crossing to the other side. I'm going to show you today why I believe Satan did all that he could to keep Christ from making it across the Sea of Galilee. And I'm going to show you why I believe Satan will send storms into your life. Not ordinary storms. Not even storms of your own making. I'm talking supernatural storms that tries to prevent the work of God in your life. That tries to prevent the will of God. That tries to prevent the extraordinary things that God desires to do in you and through you. I want to show you that today out of the Word of God. Let's begin in chapter 35. I'm sorry, verse 35. Chapter 4, verse 35. John is going to tell us that on that same day when the evening had come, Jesus said, let us go across to the other side. If you're going to take notes today, the first principle that I want you to note is that Jesus made them a promise. Now, this is significant. If you will pay attention to the Sea of Galilee within the Scriptures, and more so to the shore around the Sea of Galilee, a lot of things in Scripture will begin to click and make sense to you. If you're going to take notes, let me just give you some interesting facts. The Sea of Galilee is really what we would call a lake. It's really not all that large. Some of you have probably been there if you visited Israel. It's not really all that big. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long, and it's only 7 miles wide. It's interesting that it is the lowest freshwater sea in the entire earth. It's 680 feet below sea level. 
And Jesus gave them a promise and he said, we are going to go to the other side. They were going to travel 13 miles to the other side of the sea. Now, if you'll pay attention along the shores and where Jesus is and what miracles are going on, you'll understand the context of the scriptures a lot better. So, for example, when he goes to the other side, we're going to be in chapter 5 next Sunday. He's going to come to the heir of Gennesaret. We're going to see the demoniac man, the man who had 2,000 demons, a legion of demons, as our brother mentioned earlier. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I have often wondered when Jesus cast out that legion of demons out of that man, where did they go? They went into the herd of pigs. Why is there a herd of about 2,000 swine in Israel? That don't make sense to me. Pigs are not kosher. Jews did not eat pigs. So what are they doing there? It always felt weird to me. It always felt out of place to me, and I didn't understand it. Now that I understand along the shores and the many things that Jesus did, if you'll understand why he's in the northwest shore and why he's in the northeast, and if you'll understand where these things are, where we're going to be next week, as we're making our way literally to the other side, he's going to be on the eastern border where today Jordan would be. And this is going to be the land, the area of the Gentiles. The swine is there because they're feeding the Gentiles. And that's why when Jesus casts the demons out, they go into the pig, they go into the sea and drown. What do the people want to do? They want to kick Jesus out of their district. Why? Because he hurt their pocketbook. Because he messed with their livelihood. Their wallets. If you'll understand the significance of the Sea of Galilee in the ministry of Jesus, you'll begin to understand why certain things happen. Mark chapter 10 will be there in many weeks. Well, six more weeks. Why did they ask Jesus about divorce? Because the area that Jesus was in was controlled by Herod. And why was John the Baptist beheaded? Because he condemned the divorce of King Herod. So what did they do? They asked Jesus, what do you say about divorce? The scriptures will begin to connect the dots. They'll begin to click when you understand the significance of the Sea of Galilee and the shores around it and the areas around it. So Jesus makes them a promise. Jesus says, we're going to go to the other side. Friends, do you know what the principle is today? You and I do not have only one promise from God. You and I, through the word of God, literally have thousands upon thousands of promises from God. Scholars tell us that there are some 7,000 promises in the word of God to today's believer. I want you to think about that. 7,000 promises made to you today. There isn't just one promise. There are thousands of promises to cling to. But like the disciples, do you know when you and I forget the promise? It's in the middle of the storm. But if you and I will hold to the promises of God, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to sink. 
and you're not going to drown. Because the Bible says in Job 42 that the plans and the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. I'm telling you today on the authority of the word of God, you're going to go over. You're not going to go under. God has made you more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. Thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumphal procession. No, my friend, you and I have the great and the precious promises of God working and active in our life. Amen. Do you hold to them? Are you standing upon them? Are you memorizing them? Because let me tell you, they are great and they are precious. The promise is you're going to make it to the other side. There's something interesting about the Sea of Galilee. You should continue your note taking because this is interesting. Because the sea is the lowest fresh water sea in the earth, it's prone to storms. Even today. 680 feet below sea level, surrounded by mountains. And you know what happens to the Sea of Galilee? Storms happen suddenly and violently. It's so low, it's such a below sea level area with the high mountains, storms will come on it suddenly and violently. Anyone ever had a sudden storm come on you? I'll never forget the end of 2016, I was in Nicaragua training pastors. We hiked a tall mountain right on the north border of Honduras, going to a Christian radio tower, when all of a sudden, blood vessels, like a spider web of blood, blood vessels burst beneath my, behind my left eye. I had just climbed the tower. And I looked over into Honduras, and in an instant, blood vessels. It was like seeing a spider web of blood. It dissipates. I finish my mission there. I come home and go to a retina specialist. And I'll never forget, he walks into the office. He sits down and he says, you have trouble brewing. Anyone have, ever have a storm of life? Anyone ever have a storm beginning to brew? Storms often come violently. Storms often come suddenly. And some of you are listening to me today, and you know exactly how the disciples felt. You know that right now you have winds of trouble blowing in your life. You know right now that the boat of your life is beginning to fill with troubled water. Friends, we're going to learn exactly what to do today when these times come. It's interesting that the disciples were not afraid of storms. You know, when I think about the disciples, half of them were fishermen. And what did Jesus tell them? Drop your nets, follow me. And Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. And so they followed Jesus. But listen, they were extremely familiar with the Sea of Galilee. You think storms scared the disciples? I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I just, I picture Peter, a big old burly guy. I picture Peter, a hairy, big, loud, 
gruff, belched a lot, laughed a lot, probably pretty rude at times, sailor. This is how I picture him. I know he couldn't run fast because remember, John outran him. I picture him just a big burly guy. Disciples weren't afraid of storms. You know what? I don't think this was any ordinary storm. And you know what? Many of you have weathered storm after storm after storm after storm as they indeed come. But some of you today, you're facing a different storm. You're facing a unique storm. You're facing the storm of your life. Verse number 36, the Bible says that leaving the crowds, they took Jesus as he was and other boats were with him. I think Jesus was so exhausted. I think what I read in here, it feels like they just had to carry him down to the stern of the ship. He's ministered. He's poured out and he's poured out and he's poured out and he's utterly exhausted. Isn't it something, my friends, that you and I have a Savior who was 100% God, yet he was 100% man? Isn't it something that we serve a Savior who was so exhausted and so physically drained that even a violent storm couldn't wake him up? You're tired in life. You're mentally drained. You're emotionally drained. You're physically exhausted today. Let me tell you, the Savior understands. He was so tired this day, he's asleep in the stern of the ship and not even a sudden and a violent, and I'll prove to you, a satanic storm could not even wake him up. That's how tired our Savior was. And they take him as he is and they put him in the stern of the ship and uh, the Bible says he goes to sleep on a cushion. Verse 37, and a windstorm arose. And water began to break into their ship. And all of a sudden, the ship begins to get filled. Now, friends, again, we're talking about experienced fishermen. We're not talking about novices. We're not talking about people who don't know what to do. These are career fishermen. Water fills the boat and it's about to break apart and the wind is violent. And where's the Savior? Where's the Master? Where's the Teacher? He's asleep in the stern. Isn't that just like our lives? We're all worried. We're all panicked. We think we're going under. We think this is the end. And you know what? The Savior's at perfect rest. Well, the disciples, watch this. Verse 38, he goes down. The disciples go down and they wake him. Teacher, do you not care that we are about to perish? That's how some of you feel today. Does Jesus really care? Does he really see? Does he really notice? Does he really care about what you're going through right now. You see God helping this person. You see God helping that person. And it feels as though God is interested and God is active and God is involved in everyone else's life except yours. It feels like God answers all of these prayers except mine. Does the master care? In the beginning of this series, I argued that 
I believe it was Peter who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And John the Beloved wrote the Gospel of John. But who wrote the book of Mark? Well, we know John Mark penned it. We know that. But did he write it? My personal opinion, that's all it is, it's not a belief, it's an opinion, is that Peter dictated to John Mark the book. Now, why do I feel that way? A few reasons. Number one, I feel that way because in 1 Peter, Peter refers to John Mark as his son in the faith. Like Paul had Timothy, John Mark was a son to Peter. Peter and John Mark spent some time in Rome together. That's actually who Mark is writing to. He's writing to Roman Christians. Another few reasons I believe it is because Peter was friends with John Mark's family. When Peter was arrested by King Herod, James was killed with the sword. Peter was arrested in Acts chapter 12 on the night of Peter's execution. Remember, he's asleep in the prison. And do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 12? An angel showed up in all of his glorious light, and Peter's asleep. Do you think you could sleep the night of your execution? And Peter is sawing logs. Peter's in such a deep sleep that the angel don't even, it can't even wake him up. The Bible says that the angel had to strike Peter to even get him up. Now, friends, that's a good night's sleep. I remember the night, you can go back on our Awakened to Grace app and hear the sermon. I remember the Sunday that I was to preach out of Acts chapter 12 when we were marching through the book of Acts. We spent two years in the book of Acts. And I remember that Sunday morning was my text in Acts chapter 12, and it was on Peter getting a good night's sleep and how the angel struck him just to even wake him up. And I remember that Saturday night, The family had gone to bed. It was about 11 o'clock, and I was doing something. I don't even remember. That Saturday night, I had a white T-shirt on, and I was already blind in this eye because in surgery they tore my retina. And all of a sudden, a blood vessel burst in this eye, and a thick black streak all I could see. My friends, in an instant, in an instant, my t-shirt became wet with sweat. My heart beat out of my chest, and I've never felt fear like I felt it that night. I said, God, what am I going to do? And I'll never forget the Holy Spirit saying, Peter went to bed. Peter faced death, Chad. Peter was to be executed the next night. And Peter went to bed. And the Holy Spirit said, go to bed and sleep well. And preach with all your might the next morning. Do you remember when Peter was rescued, the angel... The chains fell off. 
They go to the iron gate and the iron gate opens of its own accord, the scripture says. And all of a sudden, Peter's in the street and the angel leaves him and he realizes this is, oh, this isn't a dream. I'm free. Do you remember where he goes? He goes to the prayer meeting, the all night prayer meeting at Mary's house. And who is Mary? The mother of John Mark. I believe that Peter wrote the book of Mark, just my hunch. I believe he wrote it for a number of reasons. I think that John Mark was one of his sons in the faith. I think they spent a great deal of time in the persecution of Rome together, and he's writing to the Roman audience. They have family history together. Mary's house was essentially the safe house in Jerusalem. I believe Peter wrote it because of the fast-paced nature of the book. What did we say 40 times? The Greek word ethos is mentioned immediately or straightforward. It's a fast-moving The word and 1,100 times in the Greek. And then, and then, and then, and then. And it's just moving fast. That's how Peter was. Read the book of Acts. The first 12 chapters. Peter never let grass grow underneath his feet. He moved. But let me tell you one of the strongest evidences in my mind why I think Peter wrote the book. Who do you think woke the master up? Who do you think said, teacher, do you not care that we're about to perish? Who would you bet? I bet it's Peter. I bet it's Peter who always sticks both feet in his mouth. I bet it's always Peter who always reacts and then thinks. Can anybody identify with Peter? I bet it's Peter who is always ready Fire and then aim. I bet it's Peter. And let me tell you the biblical reason why I bet it's Peter who said, Master, do you not care? What did the old man, the aged, the godly, the Holy Ghost filled Peter write to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7? What does he say? Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Where did Peter learn that? I believe he learned it this night when he woke the master and said, Do you not care that we're about to perish? Friends, he cares for you. He knows. He knows exactly what you're facing. So here we are, the storm, the wind, rises and it's a sudden it's a violent storm the boat is taking on water it's about to break apart they're about to sink and Peter and the disciples go down into the ship scholars tell us they think the ships were about 26 feet long and about seven feet wide in 1986 a ruin of a ship was found in the Sea of Galilee. The water levels got so low, they found a ruin from this time period and they were able to reconstruct and preserve it. And it's about 26 feet long and about seven feet wide. And they say, do you not care? What happens next? Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind. 
Now let me, now say amen if you're ready to learn something right now. You in the mood to learn? Listen now, this is, this is interesting. Storms come into our life for two primary reasons. Number one, storms come by our own making. Jonah is the example of that. Anybody ever calls your own storms? <laughs> come on now, right? Our own dumb decisions, our own foolishness, our own laziness. A good question to ask yourself. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26, ponder the path of your feet. That's great advice. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. If you went the next five years, exactly the path you're on, the exact decisions that you're making right now in this moment, where will you be in five years? Where will your spiritual health be? Where will your marriage be? What's your relationship with your kids going to be like? Where's your health going to be? Where will you be financially? How's your faith going to be? If you continue and you do the same things you do right now today, day in and day out, where are you going to be five years from now? Ponder the path of your feet. Storms often come into our life because of our own dumb decisions. And how many of us could just write a book about that right now? Yeah. But do you know why else storms come into our life? Because many storms are designed by Satan. Satan causes some storms. And I want to show you why I believe this was a supernatural storm. This was not a normal natural storm. This is supernatural. Let me show you why. When Jesus woke up, it says that he rebuked the wind. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. The word rebuke right there literally means to muzzle. Get that image in your mind. What Jesus is literally saying be muzzled. It is the same word, the exact same Greek word that when Jesus cast out demons, when Jesus dealt with Satan, when Jesus dealt with the demonic, it is the same Greek word that he used when he used with the demons. When the Bible says he rebuked them. What he was saying to these demons is be muzzled. I think that's a great link. I believe there's a link between the way Jesus rebuked the demons and the way Jesus rebuked this storm. I don't think the storm was sent by God. Why would Jesus rebuke what the Father had sent? Does that make any sense? No, this was a satanic storm. This was a supernatural event. And Jesus rebukes it. Oh, my friend, let me tell you, if you're someone today that you're being worn out by the enemy, if you're someone today that you are literally being assaulted by Satan, he is lying to you, he is tempting you, he is accusing you, let me tell you what to do. You rebuke him in the name of the Lord. And what you're telling the devil when you rebuke him, you're saying, be muzzled in the name of Jesus. 
Let me tell you, I don't play around with any of that. I'm telling you, there are times Satan tries to come and discourage me. There are times that he tells me lies. There are times that he makes accusations against me. And let me tell you, I don't listen to a word of it. I shut him down and I say, the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. There is one time, I'm telling you, Satan comes so quick. There was a spirit of discouragement come upon me. And I'm telling you, I rebuked that thing in the name of the Lord. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't go anywhere. And I quoted every scripture I could quote at it. And I said, I'm going to wear this thing out. And after I was done, I said, now, go in Jesus' name. I'm done with you. Amen. Amen. And let me tell you. He'll lie, and he'll accuse, and he'll tempt. It's got Satan's fingerprints all over it. And I'm telling you, don't sit there and don't take it. There are times Satan will come and say, "You're you're not worthy of God's love. You're not worthy to be forgiven. Brothers, he'll come to you as you share your testimonies and he'll say, what qualifies you to do? You're not worthy to do these things. You know what you do when that happens? You say, you know what, devil, you're exactly right. That's why God gets the glory. I'm not worthy of anything. That's why God, that's why it's his grace. And that's why he gets the glory. Now go in Jesus name. Leave me alone. You don't sit there and let Satan slap you senseless. You don't sit there and take those assaults by the enemy. You take authority over it. Amen. Amen. And Jesus rebuked the wind. And he spoke peace to the troubled sea. Interesting. He spoke peace. Let me tell you what I'm learning in blindness. I had the wrong view. Before I went blind. I always thought that peace was the absence of trouble. I thought peace meant that somehow I got to hit an easy button and everything was easy. I thought that's what peace was. And some of you think that. Some of you today, you pray and you pray and you pray and it's like you're grasping at straws. It's like you're grasping at thin air. It's like you're just, you pray and you say, God, make my life easy. God, make things easier. Alleviate the pain and Lord, intervene and work this out. And God, it just, if I could just hit the easy button, but child of God, let me tell you the gospel truth. Paul said in the book of Acts, it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. There is no easy button in the kingdom of God. Peter wrote in 2 Peter, it's through sufferings that we cease from sin. That's a good word if you can receive it. Through suffering, we cease from our sinning. Friends, there are refiners' fires that God will walk you through. There are floods that God will take you through. But here is the promise. You'll never drown. Amen. Here's the promise. The fire may kindle up around you, but you won't be burned. 
Here's the promise. You may encounter the storm and listen, it may even be a satanic storm, but here's the promise. You are going to go through to the other side and you're not going to seek and you're not going to go under. You're going to go over. That's the promise. But there is no easy button. It's through many tribulations that we enter this kingdom. It's a hard road. It's a narrow way. And peace is not the absence of trouble. Do you know what peace is? Peace is the presence of Jesus in the midst of it. Friends, you're not alone today. You're not alone in your trouble. You're not alone in your trial. And some of you are listening to me right now and you're in the trial of your life and right now you're in the storm of your life and yeah you've weathered things in the past and yeah you've weathered things uh, before but this is different and what is so different about it it's different because it's satanic it's an assault and what's happening to you right now what's happening and let me tell you hallelujah is it okay if i preach for a moment Let me tell you what's happening to you right now. See, Satan knew what was on the other side of Galilee. And what was on the other side was the demoniac man who was about to be set free and set in his right mind. What was on the other side was the woman with the blood issue who had suffered for 12 years that in a moment God was going to heal her. What was on the other side was Jairus' daughter. Who God was going to raise from the dead. Friends, that's what's on the other side. The miracles. The extraordinary things that God desires to do in your life. And right now, Satan's trying to prevent it. He's trying to keep you from getting to the other side. But I'm telling you, the promise is you will make it to the other side. Amen? What you need is the promise. And the power and the presence of Jesus. And friends, that's all you need. And friends, that's what you've got. He's not absent. He's not abandoned you. He's with you right there in the stern of the ship of your life. Hallelujah. Satan will lie and he'll accuse and he'll tempt. And he'll try to scare you and he'll try to frighten you with everything that he can. But let me tell you, those who endure to the end, they shall be saved. You hold on. You don't back up. You don't quit. You don't grow discouraged. I'm telling you, you don't suffer. You don't quit in your well-doing. And what happens? Those who sow in tears shall reap in what? Joy. And what does he say? Don't grow weary in your well-doing. For if you sow, if you faint not, what does Scripture say, Galatians? You will reap in due season. Amen? You're going to make it to the other side. It's the promise of the Word of God. You're not going to sink. You're not going to drown. You are going to make it. So he rebukes the wind. It's the same Greek word. It's to muzzle. What he rebuked in the demons, he rebuked on the wind. And that's why I believe this was a satanic, a supernatural storm. Now he says to them, 
verse, where am I at? 40, I think, verse 40. It's interesting. Look what he says. After he rebukes the wind and settles the waves, look what he says to them. How then do you not have faith? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, boys, you've seen me heal the man with leprosy. He's saying, boys, you saw the paralytic lowered from the roof. Fellas, you you saw the man with the withered hand. How is it that you still don't have faith? Can I speak a word to us today? What is God saying to our church right here, right now in this season? I think God would say to us, you have exceptional worship music. I mean, the truths of God's word in our worship music is powerful. We have the word of God. We have the teaching of the word of God. We have Bible studies. We have small groups. Do you realize that right now in this season of our church, do you realize that there is only one day of the week that this church is not active and that's Friday? Two Sunday morning services, middle school services on Sunday nights, celebrate recovery on Monday nights, prayer meetings on Tuesday nights, high school services on Wednesday nights, Bible studies on Thursdays, uh, homeless outreach, RSM on Saturdays. Friends, uh, there's, there's activity going on. There's small group after small group and Bible study after Bible. And, and listen, there's 600 prodigals on that cross that we're seeing come home. And, and I think God would look at us and God would say, look at everything you're seeing. Look at everything going on. How then do you still not have faith? Huh. I want to ask us a question today. Will you enroll in God's school of faith? Will you allow God to bring those storms into your life that you would learn faith? Would you walk through the difficulties that you would learn how to rebuke the devil? Let me tell you, God's school is a hands-on program. And you don't learn out of books. What you learn out of walking this narrow road. Will you enroll in God's school of faith? Will you allow him to build your faith? Because let me tell you, out of all the verses we've covered, let me tell you what I think is the most important one. How then do you not have faith? Friends, don't be a part. Don't be part of such an amazing, active, New Testament Spirit-filled, gospel-preaching, Bible-explaining church. And be a person of such little faith. Don't let that happen in your life. Lastly, verse 41. Now, Mark is such an interesting book. What did we say in the introduction? Let me just review this, and this is where I'll begin to close. Remember when we introduced the book of Mark... We said, what is the pivotal point of Mark? There are 16 chapters. Smack in the middle in chapter 8 is Peter's great confession. That's where Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And 
they say, this prophet, that prophet. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter. <laughs> are, are you picking up on the subtle themes? Who do you? I think Peter wrote the book. And all of Mark leads up to chapter 8, and it's leading us to a decision point. And the pivot of the book is in chapter 8 when Peter says, Thou art the Christ. And Jesus goes, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. The Spirit of God has revealed this to you. And then the rest of Mark is leading us, the reader, to a decision point. To at the end, when Jesus raises from the dead, now it's, do you believe it or not? See, Mark is going to help the reader. What did we say in the introduction? Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Remember we said the beginning there in Greek is arche. It's where we get our English word archaeology. The beginning, the archaeology of the gospel of who? Jesus. Who is Jesus? The Son of God. See, Mark tells the reader right off the bat, Jesus is the Son of God. And you know what's fascinating? When you read all the demonic accounts through the book, and there are multiple, all of the demons, you know what they say? When they encounter Jesus, they say, we know who you are. You are Christ, the Son of God, the Holy One of Israel. Then how is it, church? Verse 41, right there in your Bibles. The disciples go, who is he that even the winds and the waves obey him? Isn't that something that the demons are saying, thou art the Christ? And the disciples are going, who is he? Oh, but before we judge, do you really know Jesus today? See? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, there's some of you listening today. God's active in your life. God is helping you. God has intervened in your life. He's orchestrating things. He's drawing you. And you don't understand what's going on. You hadn't quite figured it out. You're, you're kind of starting to pray. You're starting to open your heart toward the things of God. And you don't really... And, and see, you're just like the disciples today. You believe in Jesus. You trust Jesus. You, you, but, you're, but, but today you're still kind of scratching your head going... Who is he? And I'm telling you, God's revealing himself to you. God's ready for you to put your full faith, your full trust in him today. And today, if you're facing the storm of your life, I'm telling you, he can walk right into the middle of it and he'll speak peace be still. But see, it's not the storm that's the issue. It's the lordship to Jesus. That's the issue. Will you surrender your life today? Will you tell God, I yield to you. I give my life to you. I'm not perfect. And he knows that. And I don't quite know everything I'm doing. And he knows that. 
Let me tell you, somebody told me this week, they said, Chad, I've never been a part of a church this big. I went home and thought about it. I thought, I've never pastored a church this big. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> but friends, that's why we need the grace of God and not ourselves. Will you surrender your life today to the grace of God? Today, if you're facing a storm, Jesus can speak to it. Today, if you're facing an impossibility, you're going to make it to the other side. Today, if you're facing satanic attacks, you have the power and you have the promise. And my friend, you have the presence of Jesus right here in your life today. Will you recognize it? Will you call upon him? Will, listen, we see the young Peter saying, Jesus, don't you care? I believe it's Peter. We see the aged, the mature, the Holy Spirit filled Peter saying, cast your cares upon him because he really does care for you. Will you do that today? Will you cast every care upon him? Listen, but don't just cast your care upon him. Give him your sin. You can't give him your cares until you've given him your sin. He can't, listen, let me say it a better way. He doesn't want to just rescue you from your troubles. He wants to rescue you from your sin. Will you call upon him today? Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. What do you need from the Savior today? What do you need from the Master? Do you need a greater peace? Then what you need is a stronger presence of Jesus in your life. Do you need greater faith? Then you need more of the Word of God in you. Do you need greater trust? Then you need to lean harder on Jesus and not yourself. If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awaken to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcasts, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakentograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awaken to Grace.